Welcome to How to Save the World. Uh, I'm Waveney Worth, and today I don't have Tim with me because we've got two awesome guests, and we, you know, didn't want to be crowded out. So um, it's a huge privilege today to have the dearly loved zero waste giants of Aotearoa with us in the studio today, Hannah and Liam. Kia ora. Hello, Waveney. <laughs> so, um, you may know these guys from a Reducing Household Rubbish talk. How many have you guys done? Over uh, 400. What? Yeah, including our school talks yeah, and all that. Yeah, but, yeah. Wow. And over how many years? Nearly three. Um, although we sort of count the early ones we did before we went on the rubbish trip, yeah, before yeah. we even but were the been, rubbish trip. But you've been on, on the road, you know, for three years, yeah. no yeah. house, no Almost. home. Yeah. Um, but what you see with these guys is the tip of the iceberg. This is just by way of introduction. Um, what have you guys worked on or working on currently? You've got the Product Stewardship Council. Yeah, so I'm coordinating yeah, the Product Stewardship Council, which is more looking at how to put greater responsibility on manufacturers to reduce waste and Liam. we're both both members of the Aotearoa Plastic Pollution Alliance on the board um, I'm the co-chair or deputy chair sorry I'm not that important <laughs> um, you, guys, you guys are involved in campaigns you've got the takeaway throwaway yes, campaign yes the Cali Woods position, petition I saw recently yes Hannah Hannah did a lot of work to support that and you guys have both worked with um, Wasteman's with councils around New Zealand, Ministry for the Environment. Hannah and Liam, you guys have just had your panel discussion with Associate Minister for the Environment, Eugenie Sage. Yep. So yes. you are across it. What else? Regional know. shopping guides. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> part of that's yeah. part of the rubbish trip. So yeah, yeah, as we travel around ranting about waste, we also produce resources to help people reduce waste. So yeah, we've create these regional shopping guides to point people towards all the local places where they can get zero waste stuff incredibly uh, we've shouted out to them a couple of times before on this podcast oh, and you, um Ed. incredibly uh well done best be, uh, easily right. the best resource of its kind in new zealand oh thank you um and what else well i i'd like to say i'm not really part of this network but i would like to be um and i'm weaseling my way in there but um the Urban Farmers Alliance, yes, which um, just do amazing stuff with for the love of bees. There's a weird kind of few organisations mm, involved mm, there, but mm. um, well, there you go. That's it. Your shout out to you. Yeah, Liam's looking for a shoulder tap. Right? Yeah, well, they're amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, there. That's yeah. And, I really yeah. Okay, and um, there's the, been the regeneration, not incineration campaign as well. That yes. you, I mean, that's huge. We, we did our Waste Energy podcast on that a few months mm. ago. Yeah. Um, it's just so important. We get the right messages there. Um, landfills mm. aren't great, but incineration is really not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hannah, what were you doing in lockdown? Well, during lockdown, there were so many different things. We started a whole social media series of posts around resilient and resourceful zero waste. So encouraging people to make well not make the most of being locked in their homes and not feel like they can't reduce waste but be resilient and resourceful with what they have around them so we were doing all kinds of things like darning and <laughs> growing food out of salvaged seeds and we had lots of successes and lots of failures yeah. um and we also during lockdown behind the scenes with the different alert levels it was very unclear whether zero waste grocers were going to be allowed to operate whether cafes and hospo were going to be allowed to accept reusable cups and containers and at all alert that level kind of three. thing at alert yes. level three so we were doing a lot of work behind the scenes of uh, talking with 
MPI, the Ministry of Health, and so on, and also linking in with international groups uh, around the world who are looking at the safety of reusables and talking with microbiologists and virologists around whether mm. reusables are safe in these times, which they are. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot right. of flurrying of activity yeah. around that. Mm. There's been such an interesting sort of development in this whole pandemic situation because it's, hap- it's happening differently all around the world as well. Um, and so, and I think much like New Zealand's response to COVID-19, we've actually um, also a positive um, beacon for what's possible with, yes. you know, reusables. So um, compared to people like the CDC in the US who are basically saying use disposable everything and yeah. don't accept yeah. people's yeah. own cups and containers. Yeah. yeah, well, again, thank you on behalf of us all for that work you did. I know when we caught up just um, a few days ago, to talk, actually talk about this episode and try and na- understandably when you hear that list try and narrow down okay what are we actually going to really focus in on today out of all of these things and um, I remember saying oh you know hasn't lockdown actually been quite nice in terms of that regenerative slower pace and that's when I found out like what you guys have been doing basically on my behalf all this behind the scenes stuff to um, lobby or to find information about the reusables and all this stuff that we don't even uh, zero waste community and other you know sustainably minded communities in New Zealand um, are wanting to know this stuff and then you're just suddenly like your blogs and things you're incredible there with your information on what suddenly we can do or not do and I always mm. wonder how you know all this stuff but it's like <laughs> well actually there's a lot of hard work going on um mm. Yeah, There was a lot of learning, I think, for us from lockdown because we've been traveling around New Zealand for several years now, supporting people to live a zero waste or close to zero waste lifestyle within the current system that we have. And so a lot of it is kind of working around the edges, finding places like bulk bins that where yes. things are unpackaged and all this kind of stuff. And it's totally possible to do it in ordinary times. But what we found with... Uh, the government shutting down heaps of businesses, which they had to, you know, we totally supported the lockdown. Mm. Um, but the assumptions about what businesses should stay open and what kind of practices were and were not okay, it was really interesting to see that falling back on major supermarkets, falling back on shutting down bulk bins without really thinking about it. And I guess it made us realize the importance of doing this work to look at some of these systemic issues because if you you know like a lot of the stuff that we've done I guess is empowering individuals to navigate the system without producing waste but when all of those things fall down on the edges and you're left with Mm. only wasteful options Mm. it Mm. makes you realize that zero waste hasn't been very resilient I suppose. Mm, Mm. Interesting. Mm. Um, We, two things before we get much further. One is to introduce our topic that we've landed on for today, which um, we all felt, you guys as well as Tim and I felt, that it was a fantastic synergy between our podcast and your kaupapa. And that's Mm. exploring the connections between individual action and systemic issues. Um, Because Mm. we're all about connecting people with their power to make a difference. Um, But then, you know, not having that co-opted by other narratives of, of, of sort of like it's the individual's fault that you know mm. uh, it just there's a difference between having a the power to do something and, and saying that therefore it's your fault mm. yes yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a very fine line eh? it's I a mean, fine line yeah. yeah we were talking yeah. about it before too of like um there's there's historically been a sort of a, a blame put on 
individuals for littering and for you know it's it's our responsibility to recycle and all those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, it's um, so interesting. Eh? So How like these yeah, things have happened. balance that yeah, with yeah. Well, actually, there are things we can do that tie into the bigger picture. Yeah. Um. Before we get into that, I've got mm. a surprise for you guys. <laughs> mm. And it's just to do with um, a bit of a taitoko to you. And I felt that you have just been so tirelessly working for so long um, in this kaupapa around zero waste in Aotearoa. And I really have sensed from getting to know you that you guys don't necessarily clock your own significance, I think, for us all um, in the movement, I guess, in zero waste in Aotearoa. And so I have taken a liberty of asking some leaders to express their thoughts. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. um, (laughs) I'm intrigued. Yeah. I just, um, I'm just going to take a moment to um, share some of these Mm. thoughts with you guys, just to, I guess, show show the love that we all Mm. have for you. My God, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) I haven't started. (laughs) It could be terrible. It could be fine. Just push the mic away. (laughs) Tricia Farrelly, Product Stewardship Council, has said it's hard to find anyone else in Aotearoa with such a deep, complex and holistic understanding of waste from policy, legislation, strategy, community recycling, individuals and businesses. Aotearoa would not have the government's current waste work program without the awareness raising and pressure on government from folk like Liam and Hannah. Love to you both. Kate Hall from Ethically Kate. New Zealand Zero Waste Movement wouldn't be where it was today without you. I'm honoured to know them as friends and work alongside them through Takeaway Throwaways. Mm. Kate. <laughs> Rick Thorpe, Extreme Zero Waste Raglan, board member of Aotearoa's Waste uh, sorry, Zero Waste Network. I love the way you guys strip back the info so everyone can understand the craziness of waste. You've spent a huge amount of your own time um, you've spent a huge amount of your own time traveling the length of the country, inspiring and learning. Huge mahi from the team. We look forward to catching up soon. Um, mm. I'm not going to be able to. I put the full on um, Facebook, but mm. I'm not going to be able to shout out to everyone who has actually mm. shouted out to you guys. But Miriam Kamo, Kiora, Hannah, and Liam, you've been my guiding lights. Thank you for your unwavering commitment to Papatūnuku and all that she sustains. I absolutely love the talks you guys give. Is it bad that I particularly love the snacks that you bring? (laughs) No. (laughs) I lose any sense of propriety around your green pesto dip. (laughs) Chickpea flour crackers and delicious bliss balls. Mm. If you haven't seen me at any talks lately, that's partly why. (laughs) There's only so so many food-motivated, snacked-crazed journalists anyone should have to battle around the table with. Anyway, enough about food. Back to you. You are powerful voices in what has been for too long a marginalised discussion. I'm grateful for your advocacy, your care and your passion for our planet. I continue to be inspired by you every day. Oh, that's oh, so that's sweet. That's beautiful. Kei mahinui, kia koroa. Oh, I'm going to call it there. I'm just going to, there's, there's others, actually just so heartfelt, um, but I'll, I'll flick you the mm. full in... Um, online and just to finish with what's almost a poem written especially for you by leo murray of why waste you are seen cornerstone of movement you are heard catalyst for change you are loved generosity of heart you are appreciated 
integrity of thought. You are true, grounded in action. Wow. Stunning. Stunning. And from myself, I, I, I'm hugely appreciative of the practical, the friendship, the practical advice, the last minute phone calls, you, you, behind the scenes advisors for the show, um, best resources, I think, in New Zealand for Zero Waste Movement and and also incredible promotion partners for this podcast. You know, whenever you guys flick out a shout out, you see, see the spike in the numbers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So thank you mm. from the bottom of our hearts. Oh, that's Thank so Thank you, Waveney. Yeah, Kia ora. That's a, we, we, so thoughtful. We do have to say that it was you, Waveney, and, and your husband, Matthew, who really inspired us when we started our journey back in 2015. We were like, oh, there's all these people around the world. Oh, and look, there's a couple in New Zealand doing it. And, you know, you had all this really specific information to this country. And it was so thorough and so just amazing. And so, you know, you were a massive, massive boost to us to actually even get into this whole world so it's been a long road and a beautiful road and i Mm. love sharing it with you guys well and i think that's something that's so great about the zero waste movement in new zealand at least because that's what we have experience of is for us it's much more like Afano, mm. and you have like the different generations. You know, you've got people <laughs> yeah. like, don't call me the mummy. No, 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 I wasn't. I was going to actually start with the grandfather. You Excellent. know, like Warren Snow and yes. Cliff yes. thirty years ago, and then yeah, and then, and then you and know, then there's the different... a zero waste granny as well. Zero yeah. waste granny, yeah, and 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 yeah, and you guys starting it. You know, what what, what two thousand and eight? That's twelve years ago. The, like the lifestyle, and mm. lots of people don't realize that you started the same year as Bayer Johnson, who's the internationally famous zero waste lady. But you guys started at the same time, mm. so yeah, we were in. Um, yeah. We were all talking to each other back in the mm. day, actually, mm. all swapping stories and stuff. But she's really carried on with that. I mean, here I am doing something quite different now. Mm. Um, my learning edge, I like it shifting. You know, I've mm. done zero waste, and I mm. still pretty much live zero waste. But I'm just so. I mean, I'm. Out of all the podcasts we've done, I think Soil is my favourite. I think mm. I say that quite a bit because yeah. for me, that's my learning edge. I just couldn't mm. believe what we found out when mm. we were just like, what? Mm. You know. But zero waste really is like a um, a doorway into so many other issues. It's right? a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> it's a gateway sustainability drug. And Liam's yeah. into soil. Like it's yeah. kind of it all comes back to it, really, say isn't it? Something else then. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so individual action is connected to systemic issues. Mm, mm. Yes. Can some one of you legends just, for our the sake of us all, remind us what a systemic issue is? Well, I guess it's just looking at the the whole of our world's waste issues, and you know, just the the sheer quantity. You know, the way that our waste management system works. You know, how New Zealand ships waste and recycling overseas and where that goes and what other countries do and how we import food and what packaging it comes in, you know, that whole systemic the whole thing. thing. That, that, it's you a know, looking big. And, and yeah. you know, yeah. So, and yeah, and even bigger than that, like it's not even just waste, like waste itself is a symptom of systemic issues. So thinking about the way that we use resources and the way that we use energy and the governments and businesses behind all of those things and yeah so, so it's mm. even bigger again it's it's this this momentum that humanity's had in our our system is really based on growth yes and where where this generation is transitioning or needs to transition to a system based on something perpetual yes yeah 
yeah, the idea of, you know, consumption drives economic growth and that's what we're talking about decoupling right yes yeah yeah so there's three big players this is how i always think of it and i love this is my favorite conversation (laughs) um these the 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 relationship between the power and that the businesses have after all they're the ones that make all of the crap and Mm -hmm. um the good stuff and the bad stuff Mm -hmm. and we buy it and Mm -hmm. pretty much everything we do is based around consumption with not a heck of a lot of us growing stuff and not buying stuff Mm -hmm. so business is so powerful then you've got your government obviously framing everything dictating a lot Mm -hmm. or not and then you've Mm -hmm. got your individuals and these three are often set up against each other. And there's so mm. many conversations people have around who should be taking the lead, who who does have the, the, the truest power. So that's kind of the seat mm. of our conversation today, isn't it? To look at, uh, as individuals, are we powerful or not? Um, where, where does it sit? Mm. And are we, are we guilty or not? Are we, mm. you know, how, how vested should we be feeling? You know, part of the answer to that, or, or not the answer, but part of the conversation is that with a systemic issue, you've got multiple players involved in the problem. And so the solutions have to happen on multiple levels at the same time. And collaboratively. Yeah. So it's not really about just whether individuals have the responsibility or just businesses or just government. We actually need change on all levels and we also need to do it quite quickly uh, to really turn the ship around and uh, so yeah often when we come back to these conversations about whether individual action is even worth it uh, you know these things aren't mutually exclusive Mm. we do need change Mm. on all levels but Mm. perhaps the responsibilities of course are different and so on but Mm. we can't have Mm. change without you know, with only one part moving. Mm. Shane Ward said that well too when he was uh, for Better Future Forums. He was on mm. the podcast a few weeks ago saying that you need, because I think I probably pitched a similar question and he said you really need top down and bottom up at the mm. same time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's an interesting one, this one of um, our sense of power um, because if we don't believe we have it, we won't exercise it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if it goes back to I mentioned earlier, you know, in the, I mean, it was in the 50s and 60s when this whole hyper-consumerist society started to become the norm, um, and then all the waste started to appear, um, and governments started trying to do something about it, and then um, big campaign from sort of plastics companies and packaging companies was, well, it's individuals who are littering who are the problem. It's not the materials, it's the individuals are the problem. So... In a way, it was like individual, you have to take individual responsibility and individual action. But, you know, whatever, 70 years later, the mess is so much worse. So it's kind of almost feels like, well, individual action didn't work, did it? Mm. And so maybe there's something in that which is like disempowering Mm. for, you know, that we've been told we have to take individual action in this way, but it hasn't worked at all. So, But interestingly, you know, the impact of individual consumption we can see you know, in terms of the negative impact, like if individuals couldn't make a difference, then how are we in this mess in the first place? Oh, yes. Sing it, sister. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of that conversation about the individual litterers, I think what's really important and what needs to be detangled, and it's it's actually crucial, is that there has been a co-option of the concept of individual responsibility Mm. because we live 
within a very neoliberal framework in the modern age uh, where it's very easy for businesses to individualize responsibility for a systemic problem and that distracts attention away from manufacturers and so on. Uh, so when we talk about the yeah, there's a difference between individual responsibility and individual empowerment, I suppose. And we have to be mm. careful that we mm. don't... It comes back to that conversation of how change needs to happen on all levels. So mm. if we're just individualizing responsibility, then what we're not seeing is change on a business and a government level, and then that's bad. Um, so it's how, it's how do individuals fit in within that bigger change narrative, uh, but not making individuals solely responsible for fixing a problem that is caused by multiple actors on multiple levels. Mm. So it's kind of simple in a way, isn't it? It's saying that individuals must be a part of this. Without mm. the individual action, the the changes that government and businesses can make is just not going to be enough and it's not going to be enough to shift that systemic platform that we're on. Mm. Having yeah. said that, just because it's a crucial pivotal part doesn't mean that it's the leading or spearheading part like each of mm. these you know the government and the businesses and consumers we're all we're all actually needing to spearhead together mm. yes yeah uh, yeah again it's not anyone's responsibility is not individuals or governments or businesses yeah. responsibility it's, to lead but that togetherness is really key yeah so how i'm interested in um we're like some personal stories, I guess, like how this um, belief system that you have that, that, that individual action is, is crucial mm. and powerful. Mm. Um, how has it filtered through into your own lives and your own choices? Like, mm. I have really strong feelings around that because so my background is in law and policy. And really early on in my studies, I was doing lots of in interning and I was interning at Oxfam New Zealand on their climate change um, campaign. And this was back in 2009 and was really at the, the pointy end of kind of the policy trying to get New Zealand. I think it was just before the Copenhagen Agreement and trying to get New Zealand to agree to X amount of reduction by, by this time. And so much work and research going into the position and so on. And then we went into this big meeting with Nick Smith was in charge at the time with the minister and there were hundreds of people in this room all like getting to come up to a microphone and you know express what we felt about where the target should be set and so on and so forth and and there was just this lineup of ministry officials and everybody sort of listened and then he sort of nodded and sort of take take it on board and then they went and they set a sort of target that didn't even match with the science um and that was like my first experience of wow that was a lot of energy and time for an outcome that was I may as well not have done anything and then started after my degree was working in uh, with NGOs doing policy stuff and also within government um, within both parliament and judiciary and just seeing the institutional inertia mm. um, that, you know, people might go into these institutions, be really passionate or even not that passionate, and you'd have really great re information going to people, but the decisions just didn't translate. And you'd see the activists like fighting, fighting, fighting and no change. And I just got fed up, honestly. And I was just like, I feel so disempowered 
by this whole experience that for me the only way to get a sense of empowerment back and a sense of hope was to say well what can I control and I can control my own life Mm. and my own decisions and I can spiral out from there so rather than like being this dot that's trying to influence this other dot 5k down the road I'm actually just going to start with myself and spiral out and sort of be the change and so that was where the impetus for rubbish trip came from and well that's where the emphasis for lifestyle change and me me valuing that came from and Mm. and then it was a lot further down the track before we got into zero waste but it was kind of all this logical progression yeah I'm not sure how Liam transitioned yeah I don't know I kind of um I was I don't know I was sort of naturally ready for it but I haven't really I can't say I've really sort of um thought about it deeply on that sort of level but one thing which which I, I keep coming back to is that really amazing thing about waste or I don't know if it's amazing but (laughs) um (laughs) is just how tangible it is and how visible and and and, you know how you know most people whatever their backgrounds whatever their political um beliefs or whatever um agree that waste is a problem and that litter and plastic pollution is a problem um and that it's so visible that we can see what to do about it, you know. Mm. We can As opposed see. to carbon. Exactly. Mm. And so, you know, there was... Or a certification. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you, on your on an individual scale, how do you impact that? And how do you measure mm. that? How do you mm. actually... Because that's the big thing about the, the empowerment of individual action is you can see that you are making a difference. And so... That's why zero waste is the gateway, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, this yeah, tangible absolutely. thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was a big thing for us was um, just seeing... I mean, there was that that wonderful photography exhibition of uh, called seven days of garbage where it's you know a whole bunch of different yeah a whole bunch of different families in the u.s who were just asked to keep their waste for seven days and then chuck it on the ground and lie in it and have photos taken of them and it's just so tangible it's like that's my stuff that i've produced over the week Mm. so i can see well how do i Mm, how can you reduce it yeah yeah that's interesting, eh? So there was something for you around the tangibility of, of an action that you could see that you're making a difference um, and then something for you, Hannah, around this reaction to the institutional inertia, to use your phrase. Uh, and sense of feeling, control. Yes, yeah, which I think I can relate. I can relate to both of those stories, actually. And for me, it was um, very simple. For me, I was just taking on board this information globally as I became aware of mm. environmental problems and feeling smaller and smaller and then not having a skill set, actually. I found really, really hard. So I was no longer wanting to make the choices that I was making just to feed myself but mm. um, and clothe myself, but I did not know how to shift it. Mm. And so it was really disempowering. And so discovering zero waste and and a community of people that could help me shift those habits um, was empowering. And it's that empowerment that has led me to be able to take other steps. Yeah, yes. and I think yep. that's really interesting because one thing we do hear quite a lot um, when we go and do talks in workplaces, uh, it's less so when we do our public ones because the audience is very self-selecting. But if we go into a workplace, we're sort of in front of some people that might not have you know, otherwise come. And there'll be this, well, what's the point of me going to all this effort? There's only so many hours in the day. If I want to make a real difference, I should focus the time I have on getting change from the top, from government and businesses. And that's all well and good. But if you only have so many hours in the day, our personal experience is that you can get so much done so much faster in your own life because you've got so much control 
than you could ever achieve trying to you know like what are you going to do sign a petition you know in terms of yeah. whoa mm-hmm. now we're getting to the <laughs> <laughs> but but then the other part of that is and it's kind of relates to what you said is that when you start to make these changes in your own life and just figure out like how am i going to live without waste mm. very quickly you do through practical experience gain so much more understanding about what needs to change at a systems yeah. level. Yes. yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. 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 And I, f- I find, like, for for example, I think you and Matthew are a really interesting example. I often think about it because you guys, well, from what you've told us, when you decided to live zero waste, you weren't really eco-minded at all. It was just like a thing you want. I think it wasn't even called zero waste then. It was like waste free. Well, we, it, there wasn't a term that we <laughs> knew of. I think actually there was a term called zero waste, but we hadn't managed to find it through Googling. And mm. that's why we called our challenge rubbish free. Because yeah, it was right. just the language that we were using. Yeah. yeah. And then as you're going, you know, like 10 years down the track, you know, you're really involved with community resource recovery networks. Um, you're involved with, well, Matthew's running Envision New Zealand, which does waste consultancy. And it's, but it's not like you came from, you came to that through lifestyle change. We did. Mm. Yes. It's mm. interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. it? It's just so, um, I, I, I can't help but go back to this comment you made about the petition thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't mean to sound derisory. No, no, but it's like, but it's like um, I think a lot of uh, people start their journey in terms of sustainability with an awareness that they're not happy with how things are going for the planet. And so there's an opportunity to sign a petition. Great. That's, that's one of the only ways they can think of, apart from perhaps taking out the recycling, um, that is really going to make a difference, and it does. Mm. But there's a then an awareness that is actually slowly dawning. I think, hopefully, on all of us that it's our day to day. So signing mm. a petition's great and mm. obviously really needed, but we also really need a shared understanding of the. Um, or you said it before too. The um, it's our consumption that's mm. got us into this mess. So actually, mm. that is obviously a very, very powerful thing, if not the most powerful thing mm. for us to be focusing on. Yes. I think, maybe I don't, I don't know if you wanted to talk about this later on, but um, we'll our, talk about it now. The, the Takeaway Throwaways campaign yes, is yeah. really, for us, encapsulates those different things. So because, let's talk about what is the Takeaway well, Throwaways campaign. Well, firstly, it's a petition. So we're all about petitions as well. You <laughs> yeah, know, you've and got the bases covered. Uh, so, and it's a petition asking for the government to ban single-use service wear, so that's cups and containers and cutlery and stuff like that. Um, but on the other hand, mandate and, and help to co-design reusable schemes to put in place of the single-use stuff. So it's you know banning but also providing an alternative because um, there needs mm. to be an alternative. Um, and that's kind of – that's the core of the campaign. But recognizing that, you know, we can't just wait for the government, you know, businesses and individuals have to take actions too. Um, our website is – totally full of uh, resources, FAQs for, you know, there's a hospitality FAQ, what can business, what can hospitality businesses do right now to phase out single-use cups, what alternatives currently exist. There's one about uh, for events and festivals, um, you know, what options are there for reusable cup schemes um, and, you know, even a giant stadium with 30,000 people, what can they do? And then there's a whole page on what individuals can do. Um, and, and we, and, um, 
we work with Laura from Yuyo, who's absolutely amazing, and and she's a social media whiz, and she just she's just pushing it all the time, like who's doing what, sharing um, wins around the country, what cafes are doing what, what individuals have come up with really innovative solutions, and it's just this amazing kind of dynamic, you know, work toward working towards this goal, which is also calling on the government to do something, you know, so mm. it's like. The community and individuals and businesses are all doing this work in the meantime with what's available and what we can come up with with our creativity. Brilliant. In order to... How do people yeah. find Takeaway Throwaway? Um, our website, takeawaythrowaways.nz. Um, all the information is there. You can sign the petition there. Um, but we're also on Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah. So that's that's how you can find it. Brilliant. So, yeah, I think petitions are a really important part of... of individual action because it speaks to systems isn't it like you're signing a position to invite the government to do something it's giving mandate yeah who said that recently i was just i've really cottoned on to it it's like Mm. without probably you guys (laughs) (laughs) without without that mandate the government's hands are tied Mm. so it's like we can't we've got to meet them there every step of the way you know and it's it's through the campaigning and the petitioning that we're giving that's kind of almost it's not like we're it's quite a different mindset to saying we're angrily trying to convince this oppositional government to something it's Mm. it's shifting it around and saying we are creating an environment where you're able to do the stuff that you probably want to do anyway absolutely absolutely but that mandate um doesn't come just from the petition and in fact i'd say the mandate comes much more strongly from the businesses and the communities and the individuals starting to live the alternative so mm. the government can see nice not one. only you want us to do this but actually you it's want happening. us to yeah yeah Let's facilitate this thing yeah. that's happening yeah. yeah it's like when the supermarkets started phasing out single use plastic bags on their own and then the government was like, oh, sweet, that's got it. Okay, cool, we'll ban them. Yeah. Mm. You know, like it's like, unfortunately, we are in this situation where governments, I think it's not even a lack of mandate. It's also like a lack of time and resources to work out what the alternative is. Like government actually doesn't want to come up with the alternative. They want someone else to. And then they'll be like, sweet, that's fine. Yeah. So I think such a big part of this is about normalizing it. Like it's it's just stuff we do every day because at the end of the day, the people in government, the people at CEOs yes, and whatever. Yes, they're people they're that people, have right? coffees. Exactly. They yes. go to cafes and I'm they I'm pretty decide. sure they do. Yeah, but we, we hope so. <laughs> hope they're not robots who don't, yeah. I mean, I they can drink I'd... tea if they want, but, you know, coffee's fine too. But, <laughs> but you know, and, and we actually saw this. It was a really interesting example um, during the lockdowns and the alert levels in New Zealand um, where alert level for everything locked down really quickly and then we had to quickly decide what were essential businesses or not Um, and in the grocery space that meant virtually all of the places that people would normally shop to get low waste groceries so independent grocers you know bulk stores butchers you know farmers markets markets. anything like green swap yeah Yeah. they were initially you know closed down okay Mm -hmm. and and we sort of feel like if it was normal that people understood you know, that's that's kind of the kind of consumption that we really need to have a more sustainable society, then they probably wouldn't have been shut down, you know? Mm, mm. They would have been seen as essential mm. because, you know, they are essential. Remembering that, you know, there was this other argument that, oh, well, they're not hygienic, but actually, you know, those, again, are assumptions that aren't based on 
anything concrete. Um, so when you have it normalized that everything's in a little packet, you just assume that that's the safest, most hygienic way of doing things. But in actual fact, if you analyze things a little bit further, a zero waste store can be made to be just as safe, if not more safe. But it's just the assumptions that you're you know, your baseline mm. starting point, <laughs> you, you're not going to adapt those systems to work for COVID-19 because you've already presumed that mm. the normal way mm. of doing things is the supermarket way. Mm. Um, so yeah, it does go to show that when things aren't normalized, you just don't give them a chance to, yeah, to carry normal's on. Normal's pretty powerful, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And actually that, I do, I'm going to segue a bit, if mm-hmm. that's cool with yeah. you guys. Yeah. Um, speaking of normal, um, Something that seems to be more normal in this sphere is uh, women's involvement. And mm. it's not as mm. common, is it, for the blokes to be... Mm. I mean, if it's a bit techy, I think they're usually there, or mm. eco-building or stuff. Classic, <laughs> yeah. hey, oh, yeah. but, you know. But, Liam, I'm really interested because you are a um, fantastic role model. You're right in the space. You're really vocal. Um mm. Yeah, can you give us a comment on yeah. um, men in this space? Yeah, it was a, it was something um, became more and more interested in as as we started doing the rubbish trip and and then we started looking at our Facebook, you know, um, statistics of who our fans and followers and stuff were, and it was a bit of a female slant. Yep, eighty eight percent. Wow, female. Ten percent male. Bracket as well, eh? Yeah. Yes, and and that was reflecting what we were seeing at our presentations as well. Like mm. just um, visually, we could see that our audience was predominantly female, and there was very few men who would turn up. It's like a um, yoga class. Yeah, twenty to forty, eighty-eight percent women. Yeah, so so you know, I got really interested in why that was because you know I'm I'm interested in it and why you know it mm. doesn't feel like it's a gender issue for mm. me, mm. Um, and. I did a bit of research and I wrote a um, a blog post about it last year. And in my research, there was a, there had actually been studies of um, gender attitudes to environmental issues and, and environmental consumption choices as well, and found that men were um, much more likely to make a purchasing decision um, based on whether it reflected their masculinity or not, their their gender identity. And so if they were given the choice of like, you know, an electric car or, a, you know, a grunty, you know, diesel car or whatever, they'd go for the, the less environmentally friendly choice because it was perceived to be masculine. They were much more concerned oh, about wow. looking, you know, maintaining their their identity, their external. Well, hang on. Gen- Maybe women are just as concerned with that, but don't feel like they have to choose. Maybe they're, they're feeling like the more feminine choice is often that more eco-friendly choice. I well, don't know. the study showed that. Or are men more insecure? Yeah, well, because well, it wasn't just to do with environmentalism, right? The study showed women were more likely to not care about the perceived gender. Yeah. Okay. So, like, if yeah. it's a okay. pink yeah. razor blade or a blue razor blade, a woman isn't going to. according to this study yeah Yeah. okay that was yeah so that was the study and then and yeah so there was a i mean a few sort of recommendations i guess or like suggestions of like how do we how do we think about this and how do we maybe get Mm. more men involved in this in this space and stuff like that and you know some of the suggestions were like well maybe we need to try to market some of the greener options you know and masculine colors and sharp edges and you know you know all this well, kind of I stuff. Well, I think to be fair there is there is a 
slight feminization of, of a lot of the eco stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. I, but, and Look, I really... I'm not seeing the sharp, clean line so much. There's lots of spirals yeah. and things. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that's something I haven't really... <laughs> it's true. Yeah, okay. It's, Those no, damn I... spirals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not for me, thanks. No. <laughs> but that's... I mean, there's something I haven't really worked out as... as is that a, what's the chicken and egg situation with that? Like, is that because there are you know eighty plus True. percent yeah. women uh, involved in this movement, and yeah. and that's what's being put out there, mm. or or is it? Yeah, so I don't know. It's a it's a really tricky one, and 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 then there's also the question of but why is environmentalism feminized in the mm. first place? Mm. You know, like why is it perceived to be a feminine? Like it could be the chicken and egg thing, or is it like really stereotypical assumptions that you know if you care about the environment, you're more caring and you're more nurturing, and that's you know. Mm. But it's all stereotypes. I don't see what is feminine about wanting like you know clean air and and healthy food and mm. and good water to drink, so that we're you know not sick and you know our kids actually have a nice world to live in you know that's something we all want mm. right it's mm. there's nothing masculine or feminine about that and mm. so but yeah but it's and so i think um having yeah having male role models who who actually just show there is nothing yeah you know, i don't know it's such a tricky one like we we don't want to reinforce that those stereotypes not at all charles einstein's an interesting guy mm. yeah um in terms of so author written a few bestsellers um including the only one i've read which is more beautiful world our hearts not as possible um mm. longest book title ever <laughs> and he talks about uh the need for, and coming back to our conversation around power of individual action he talks a lot about um that we actually just need to Yes, we can be doing the the all of the various multitudinal little things, little tweaks that we we need to be adopting, but it needs to come from a, a lens, a different lens, a different way of seeing the world. Mm. Um, mm. Which... Yeah, I think like that the personal is political thing is quite important uh, when you're thinking about individual action as a means of creating a new society. Because when you get to, say, going back to that thing about the neoliberalism and individualizing responsibility, a lot of the actions that are promoted are things like buying a nice fancy reusable cup or buying. It's, it's all sort of sustainable consumption. Uh, or more sustainable, probably. Yeah. Rather mm. than sustainable. Yeah. yeah, but it's still about consuming things. It is, yeah. Um, so it's, it's sort of remarketing individuals as green consumers Whereas if you're thinking about trying to system change through individual lifestyle choice, you're more likely to be thinking about, well, how do I disrupt that consumption in the first place through my individual actions? So you're saying that um, if you're new to sustainability and you're, you're trying to work this out, it's not just about how we consume differently. You're saying something quite radical here. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, my view on zero waste and I'm sure Liam would be the same but I will let you speak for yourself is that one of the things it is is fundamentally an anti-consumerist or I don't want to use the prefix anti but you know it's not it's not a consumerist way of being it's really about thinking how can I make do with what I have already or on a systems level what we already have as a society um, to have the things that I need to have a good quality of life 
without needing to go out and buy things because that's part of the trap of the wastefulness is that so many people are so busy um, struggling to make ends meet and there's this whole narrative of convenience and often convenience items tend to be quite wasteful and they trap you into making lots of micro purchases all of the time which overall costs more um, whereas if you sort of step back from that for a moment and think well how can I actually have all of this but without consuming things uh, in that monetary sense going back to the gender conversation too seeing that the role for individuals um, to actually move move behavior at a systemic level change change how we do things systemically you know if if for example you have you know rather than trying to market things to you know to those people who aren't necessarily interested in taking individual action but actually having people having for example having a farmer showing what's possible so that he can then influence other farmers um, having a ceo you know doing something innovative and, and different in their industry that influences the other ceos and you know those are things that men can lead in and women can mm. lead in as well and it doesn't have to be reinforcing those stereotypes and it's like an individual they might be in a certain position i mean but it could just be any old farmer any old ceo whatever any any old staff member in a business um taking that action influencing other people in their industry to get that system well, to start a more mm. systemic mm. change mm. there's so much here around the power of small actions uh, not just adding up, mm. but more than that, um, mm. cascading into something quite separate to the initial small action that is able to produce the systemic change that is needed. Um, is there any any closing thoughts and remarks? I think um, one thing that we always say about the value of individual action, particularly around environmental things like zero waste, is also trying to understand why some people might think that individual action isn't worthwhile and often actually what underlies those ideas is something completely different to what people are saying. It's a fear of change. It's also a fear of having to do something that might be a perceived sacrifice when your neighbors aren't doing it. You know, like a fairness, it's not fair. Um, and I think what we always try to communicate first and foremost is that for us, at these individual lifestyle changes, not only do they help us live in alignment with our values, not only do they make us feel more empowered, it's also improved our well-being and our life overall. And so we never really frame these individual actions as a sacrifice. No. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's mm. so it's got a political outcome, but mm. it's also it's beyond that. It's also it's not a sacrifice. It's it's boosting our well-being and our connection to communities. Mm. And so we prefer. Um, to take, why wouldn't we take individual action, I guess, is the thing. Yeah, it's a win-win. And yeah. that's that's really where that um, disconnection or um, between the, you know, individuals and the systemic change comes from, I think, is that, you know, we, we wear that sort of, oh, it's not my responsibility, it's your responsibility, because it's not fair that it's all on me to mm. do everything, comes from that place, or, you know. True, because it's being framed as something negative, yeah, as opposed yeah. to, actually, this is a positive yeah. thing. Why should yeah. I have to do it? You know, and I mean, there's mm. lots of great memes that kind of encapsulate this idea really well of, you know, like people at, at this UN meeting, like pointing at a slide that says, um, we want cleaner air, better water, you know, 
healthier people, blah, blah, blah. And then someone's commenting, it's like, but what if we do all this stuff for nothing and it's untrue? You know, it's like, well, <laughs> yes. don't you want that anyway? You know, like yeah. that's a really positive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and It's like we can't lose by doing this stuff. Absolutely. Because there is a lot of concern that, you know, changing, it's change is really hard when it's a lifestyle thing. Yeah. And that people feel time poor and financially poor. And so, mm. you know, like there is something that's got to get you over that initial hump. Yes, yeah. And, and that's a faith that it will be, it will be worth it. Yeah. And mm. for us, we really think it is. But, you know, there is a leap of faith at the beginning and that's really hard. Absolutely. I'm going to finish with the, the words of Christy Lawson from oh, Earth Savvy. Yeah. <laughs> One of the many beautiful... Um, shout outs I didn't get a chance to read thank you for your extraordinary commitment limitless energy and love for Papatua Nuku know that we are all so appreciative of all that you do big thanks and big love Oh, right back at Christy. you Christy mm. Kia, ora. Kia ora guys thanks oh. for coming in thanks, thanks for having us Wagner. pleasure